0: A few minutes ago, I was standing in my pew, singing along with you, and my two-year-old son was jumping up and down, climbing on the pew, standing on the top of the pew, uh, excited, hyper. That's the way I feel inside right now. Can you tell? (laughs) When I think about God's Word and what it's going to say this morning, I don't think the response is one of dullness and deadness. But we should be like, wow, we should be jumping on the pews as well. And I am going to pray for us because this is not a going through the motions. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I sometimes just go through the motions like, And maybe some of our brothers and sisters are going through the motions right now, just showing up, singing, listening, and moving on with the dullness in our hearts. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit of God this morning, we just ask that the Holy Spirit of God would stir us up to excitement, to obedience, to holiness. May you do significant work in our lives today. We come, a lot of us, not expecting much. And may you blow us away. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you, a lot of you, go to school at Northwestern. And Northwestern, if you maybe know this, has announced an audacious fundraising program with the goal to raise $3.75 billion dollars over 10 years. That is more than has ever been raised in Chicago, one of the top 10 fundraising efforts by a university in America. And that's huge. And most of us look at that and go, wow, that's big. And there's something about humans and there's something about institutions that we want to do big things. In fact, most of you here want to do Big stuff with your life. I doubt there's anybody here who goes, you know, I just I just really want to do something small. I just really want to do the small stuff. Now most of you know you want to do big stuff and if you're if you're a believer, follower of Jesus, you want to do big things for God. And by that I mean you want to come up to God and say, God, here I am. Use me however you want to bring you glory. Big or small, I want to bring you praise. Now, right, that's kind of your disposition. It's often your disposition on on Sunday morning. But in your more sober and introspective moments, you realize that you are a weak person. You are a broken person. And some of you right now are a stressed-out person. And maybe you've had some challenges, and so you are a wrecked person. And though you come to God and say, God, whatever you want to do, do something big, you're thinking, you know, There's no way I messed up. I'm a little unusable. So here's the deal. I'm going to encourage you this morning. If you stay awake, you get in the Word, you're going to be encouraged. There'll be no messing around this morning. I'm going to encourage you to this uh, type of supernatural living, a living where you can love people, you can serve people, you can encourage people and you can be used by God in big ways, regardless of the way you feel right now. The direction I'm going can be summed up in this way supernatural living for natural people. Supernatural living for natural people. That's the direction we're going, and that's the kind of living we're going to talk about today that's going to make us and should make us a little hyper. And it's seen in Romans chapter 8. So go ahead and turn to Romans 8 if you have a Bible or you got a U version. Let's look at Romans 8. We've been going through the book of Romans for a while now. So we've been starting in the fall and now we're in Romans chapter 8. And through this whole deal since chapter 5, we've been building a case for Christ-like change. And I'm going to kind of just summarize, I know some of you are new, where we've been, a case for Christ-like change. And I'm going to give you kind of six things of where we've been been and where we're going. And, and as I've been thinking about these, these, these things I'm going to give you, they'd make for a great book and uh, great chapters in a book that I'm never going to write. So if you want to write it, you have all the rights to it, all right? A case for Christ-like change. We started in Romans 5, and we saw that we should expect the change. If you're here this morning, you're struggling with sin... Don't expect much. Come on, you've got to expect a change. You've got to confess your ruin and receive rescue. The second is you need to embrace your death and resurrection in union with Christ. We came into Romans 6. We saw to embrace our death and resurrection in union with Christ. As we went through Romans 6, we want to exercise this freedom, becoming who we are in Christ. And then number four, we saw strategize for righteousness. We're not going to just go through life. We've got to make a plan to live a righteous life. And then we hit Romans 7, it's kind of depressing. There's a struggle we all have as believers, and we want to acknowledge that the struggle is there, not deny it. But now we come to the sixth, as we start to come to Romans 8, and we have this idea of cooperate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I mention the Holy Spirit, there's some different reactions that you may have based upon your background. Some of you have grown up in churches where The main thing you talk about when you talk about the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues and prophecy and miracles. And some of you have grown up in churches where you act like the Holy Spirit is non-existent. But what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to not emphasize the extravagant manifestations of the Holy Spirit in tongues and prophecy, nor are we going to act like the Holy Spirit does not exist. What we are going to do this morning is that we are going to focus on supernatural living through natural people. Supernatural living for natural people. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit enables us to live these supernatural lives where we love others, serve others, live a holy life, and glorify God in doing big things. All right? That's where we're going. Let me get you a little organized. Because Romans 8 is one of these chapters where most of you know the beginning of it and the end of it, and you get all muddled in the middle. We understand there's no condemnation in Christ and nothing can separate us from the love of God, but what's the rest of Romans 8 about? So let's kind of get organized with Romans 8. Here we go. I'm talking about this. Number one, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit indwells and gives life. We're going to move on to chapter, verses 5 and 9, how the Holy Spirit transforms hearts and minds, and how the Holy Spirit's going to bring future resurrection in verses 10 and 11, and how the Holy Spirit ministers best th- through the cooperation of the believer. This is heavy stuff, You got to pay attention, it's going to be well worth your time, and it will encourage you if you stick with it, and you're going to be surprised in the direction we're going. We're going to do a little controversy, a little conflict, and we're going to end up killing a lot of things, for real. Stick with us. Here we go. Verse 1, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were with us in Romans 7, it was a mess, the struggle of a believer, and it may discourage you. And you may think, well, if I'm still struggling with sin, does that mean that God is going to condemn me on that final day? Am I going to face his wrath and hell forever because I struggle with sin? Romans 8 picks us up and says, no, 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 there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because they are united with Christ in his death and resurrection, and they stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ pause for a moment this is what happened to you if you're a believer before you became a believer God's anger and wrath was aimed at you Christ came on the cross bore the anger and the wrath of the Father in your place he was buried he rose again victory over sin and death and Satan and that the wrath of God was fully exhausted on Christ And you put your faith in Jesus to save you from the wrath of God, if you have. If not, you can put your faith in Christ now, and you will be forgiven, and God's wrath will be turned away. Now that you are a believer, the Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Basically, this means it means this. You will not be condemned today for yesterday's sins. You will not be condemned today for today's sin. And you will not be condemned tomorrow for tomorrow's sins. Why? Because you're a good, great person? No, it's because you are in Jesus Christ. The Father looks at you and sees the perfect righteousness of Christ, and therefore now there's no condemnation. You need to remind yourself of this, because sometimes you think that God is against you, and his wrath is targeting you. But if you're in Christ that is not true. So here's something you may want to put up on your mirror. This may be helpful for you. Someone suggest that we put it this way. We say there is therefore now no condemnation for put your name there. Put your name there. There's no condemnation for you. For Jason. Put your name there. If you're in Christ Jesus. Now that's the verse that most of you know if you know your Bibles, right? From here on out until Romans 8 gets a little muddled. So let's make an attempt this morning not to get lost in Romans 8 because it's easy to do because there's a lot of things flying around. Quick, what's it about? You're like, I don't know. Let's pause. These are important verses. Let's try to understand what they're saying. Let's engage. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, when it says law here, don't think Ten Commandments or Old Testament law, but think in terms of power or authority. And here's the idea. The power of the Holy Spirit has given you freedom from the authority of sin and death. See, sin and spiritual separation from God are no longer dominating your life because the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus. I keep going back to this picture we had that many of you created with me about four weeks ago on Minecraft. Remember when we did that? We created a, that this this image of a of, of two fields surrounded by stone walls with a middle stone wall in the middle, and everybody in the universe besides Jesus Christ is born under sin in the sense they're, they 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 are sin. They are under God's wrath. But in the in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the crane of God's grace picks those up who believe and transfers them to this field of grace where we are forgiven and under the reign of Christ. And that transfer, we are told here, is pulled off by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says the spirit of life has set you free. Imagine that crane of God's grace taking you from the field of condemnation to the field of grace has set you free from that bondage to sin and death. You still with me? Here we go. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is, this is, this is, this is good. This is talking about the work of the Trinity in our lives. It's a description of what I like to call the Trinitarian invasion that has happened to us. Here's a little snapshot of this Trinitarian invasion. Ready? The Father sends the Son, the Son deals with sin, and the Holy Spirit empowers new life. The Father sends the Son, the Son deals with sin, and the Holy Spirit empowers new life. So the Father sends the Son for sinners who can't keep the law. No matter how competent you are, no matter how many degrees you are, we all break the law of God. It reveals our sin. But the Son takes on flesh, though he is never sinful. He's in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's got flesh, but he's not sinful. He's perfect. Dies on the cross for our sins. Takes our condemnation. Now we move on to the Spirit. And it says that all of us who have received the Spirit right, have to receive Christ, have the Spirit of God living within us. And the Spirit of God enables us to live a holy life. Now, you may wonder, Paul, why are you bringing this up? Why are you even talking about this now? And chances are, Paul has some Jewish Christians within his congregation who are saying, excuse me, Paul, what about the law? You're talking all about the Spirit. Well, what about obedience to the commands of God? And Paul says, well, let me tell you about obedience. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, You can really obey the commands of God. Not just externally, but you can obey the commands of God from your heart. So, with the Holy Spirit within us, He gives us life. He, not it, the Holy Spirit gives us life and empowers us to obey the commands of God. Still with me? Let's move on to the next verses. This next part where the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts and minds. And this section is going to be the most controversial. And, I, I mean, if it, the culture really doesn't care. But if you really think about what we're about to say, this is the most, this is, this is very controversial. It should be on the front page of the paper tomorrow. It should be on the internet. I mean, this is, this is like, this is controversial, hostile language in some sense. Let's look at it. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Have you ever read Romans 8 and thought these were commands? Like, don't don't be living in the flesh, but live in the Spirit. These aren't commands. These are descriptions. This is a description of the way Christians are to live, not commands. Basically, it's saying you either live in the Spirit or you live in the flesh. These are two distinct realities. There's no middle road. Everyone on this earth is either in the spirit or in the flesh. They are living according to the flesh. When we say living according to the flesh, that means they're still in Adam in the sense of they're in the fallen ways of Adam and have their minds set on the corruptible, corruptible things of the flesh. But those who are in Christ live according to the spirit and their minds are set on things of the spirit. If you're a believer, Holy Spirit lives in you. Holy Spirit lives in you. You, you have this mindset Where you want to honor God. Not perfectly. You still do foolish things and I do foolish things. But your trajectory is one of, hey, let's honor God. Let's keep Him in our thoughts when we make decisions. Let's find ways to please and glorify Him. But those who do not have the Spirit are not thinking along those lines. Those without the Holy Spirit in them are not thinking of ways to please God. In fact, the Bible tells us that those without the Holy Spirit, they can't understand the ways of God. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discern. Now, I always thought this verse meant that when an unbeliever opens the Bible, they're like, I have no idea what this is saying. But that's not what it's saying. Because I believe a person without the Spirit, an unbeliever, can Study the Bible, interpret the Bible, and teach the Bible, even at a college and university and seminary level. However, without the Holy Spirit, they are never internalizing it. They are never submitting to the Lord. So, and yes, they can understand what it's saying, but they're not grasping it. And so, for those of you who have attended church your whole life, this should freak you out. Because you can know sound doctrine. You can know the Bible. You can have God to a VVS, mission trips, Evans Bible fellowship, and know the Word. But it doesn't mean you're internalizing it, it doesn't mean that you're being convicted and stirred in your spirit. Because those who have the Spirit take the word, internalize it, and are thinking different things along the lines of glorifying and honoring God. And yet those without the Spirit I can tell you what it means, but they don't do anything with it. Now, the Bible's going to get pretty controversial here, and it's going to say not only do those without the Spirit not understand and internalize the words of God, but the Bible's going to say that those without the Spirit are actually hostile to God. Look at it. Look at it. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is, you see it there, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who do not have the Holy Spirit with them, those who are not followers of Christ cannot please God. They can do great things on this earth. They can do acts of mercy. They can dig wells. They can feed orphans. They can help the poor. They can be nice friends of yours. They can be nice neighbors. But the Bible tells us that they are hostile to God. You're like, well, I guess I won't be inviting my friends to church next week. I mean, you hear things like that. You're like, whoa, we can't say things like that here's the deal that's what the bible says and it says it in many different ways but that here's the deal that used to be you right you used to be hostile to god until the good news came you embraced the gospel and it became reconciliation and so we hold out hope to those whose god's condemnation is on them and they are hostile to god there is hope for reconciliation in jesus christ but Paul's not saying this because he thinks his, this Roman church is actually in the flesh. He's just giving a comparison here. He, he hopes better things for them. And I hope better things for you, Evanston Bible Fellowship, as he says in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He's saying, look, the supernatural invasion of the Holy Spirit has happened to you. It's changed your thoughts and your hearts so that you want to place God. He thinks better things of them. I think better things of you as well. What about the future? What about when we die? Here's something that may help you understand what's going to happen to you in the future, perhaps your body as well. Brings us to the third point here. The Holy Spirit brings future resurrection. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if you're a believer, Holy Spirit is in you. You're growing. You want to be made new more and more and grow closer to the Lord in holiness. Problem is, your body has issues. (laughs) It breaks down, it gets sick, it stresses out, it falters, and eventually it's going to break down and die. But even right now, we struggle. I mean, some of us struggle. Physical pain, emotional pain, some of us have mental issues, right? I mean, we have a lot of problems. But don't be discouraged by the wasting way of your mind and your body because there is hope that even in your death, there's going to be this resurrection. That the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and also is going to raise you. Now, let's try to understand this. If you're a believer, when you die, where do you go? You go to be with the Lord, right? Your spirit, your soul goes to be with the Lord in heaven, right? But your body stays here on this earth. It wastes away, or it's burned up, or something. And when Christ comes back, you will come back with him in your spirit, and your body will be joined together together with your spirit, and so you will have a resurrected, glorified body in eternity, forever. And for those of you who are wasting away in your bodies right now, they're not working your minds, you are not working the way you want them to, that is an encouragement. And we can be sure it's going to happen because the Holy Spirit is going to pull it off. That's encouraging. But we're not there yet. We're still here. And this is kind of where we're going to go for the the rest of Romans and in in so many words to encourage you. So I hope you're paying attention here. This is where it gets interesting. It's point four. that The Holy Spirit is going to minister best now through the cooperation of the believer. And this is where we finish up on verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to flesh, you will die. But it's by the Spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. All right, follow the logic. Believers are not yet in heaven, so there's still a struggle with sin. And yet there can be a victory over the sin because not only is there no condemnation in Christ, but there's also the power of the Holy Spirit to have victory over prevailing sin now. And it is insane for any of you that are in Christ to go back to your old ways of the flesh Because our allegiances now side with the Holy Spirit. We are people of the Holy Spirit. To put it in other words, since the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you and I need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and not against Him. Your Christian sanctification, your Christian growth is not about you doing nothing. There has to be a cooperating with the work of the Spirit in your life for this progressive growth and sanctification to happen. You have new obligations they are not to your old ways of the flesh, but to the new ways of the Holy Spirit. I'll put it this way. One pastor has said it this way. He said, you know, think about, and this is the story he makes up, so it's not true, but that girl, she has a boyfriend. And her boyfriend is a drug dealer. And her boyfriend abuses her. Her boyfriend lies to her. Her boyfriend breaks her heart all the time. Not good. She wises up. She dumps him. She dumps a drug dealing boyfriend. Another boy takes interest in her, and so she has a new boyfriend. This new boyfriend loves her, encourages her, builds her up, seeks to serve her, has her best interest in mind. Question, where do her obligations lie? To the old drug-dealing boyfriend who doesn't think of her best interest or to her new boyfriend who seeks to love and serve her? I mean, she dumped that guy And she is now consumed with this guy, and she wants to build a new relationship with him. In the same way, if you're a believer, you have dumped sin, and you're obligated now to the Holy Spirit. He has your best interest in mind. And if you're going to grow, you are to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. And part of that means, all right, here with me here, part of that means not only dumping sin, but killing sin. Now, I've switched the metaphor, so don't hurt old boyfriends. But not only do we need to dump sin, we need to kill sin. And this is where we get kind of graphic, because we have to. We're talking about killing here, sin. Verse 13 again. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I just want to say... Paul is describing the Christian life. It's not an option if you're a believer to put sin to death. He is describing what believers do. Believers put sin to death. If you don't have an interest in putting sin to death, then you're probably not a believer who's seeking holiness. Because a true Christian is all about putting to death the deeds of the body, which means there are still sinful impulses in me, sinful impulses in you. They want to rise up, and they want to kill you, and if you don't kill them, they will kill you. I mean, that sounds like an episode of Walking Dead, right, where there's all these zombies walking around. You're like, you know what? We don't kill them. They're going to kill us. They probably said that about a thousand times, right? And that's the concept. Kill or be killed. You kill sin or it's going to turn on you and kill you. And you think, man, that, pastor, that sounds kind of graphic. It's not appropriate for church to be talking about extreme language and dealing with sin. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just walking in the footsteps of the word and walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus gets pretty graphic in dealing with sin as well. In fact, he says if you have issues with lust, well, let me tell you what he says. If you have issues with lust, Matthew 5, 29 through 30, to tell you this. This is Jesus. If your right eye causes you to sin with lust tear it out and throw it away. Go ahead, right now. Tear it out, throw it away. For it is better for you that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What he's getting at is that you better take some extreme measures. Some extreme measures. Because, and he's not literally saying pop them both out because you, you can pop out both your eyes and steal lust yes okay so he's like you need to deal with this and he talks a lot about the heart. you need to be extreme in dealing with sin the apostle Paul put it this way in another portion of the scriptures it's in Colossians 3 it's a great one it's a good thing for you to memorize memorize Colossians 3 it's a good chapter but he says put to death therefore whatever is earthly in you sexual morality kill it Impurity, kill it, passion, kill it, evil desire, kill it, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Kill anger, kill wrath, kill malice, kill slander, and obscene talk to your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self in Adam without the Spirit, with its practices and have put on the new self with the Spirit, right? which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You put sin to death when by the power of the Holy Spirit you are aggressive and intentional of attacking it and you are killing it before it kills you. And I know it may sound kind of weird, but you want lust to lie motionless at your feet. You want anger to be down and out. You want greed to be decaying right before your eyes. So if sin is trying to overtake you and kill you, you should push back and kill it. But what do we often do? When we're confronted with sin or when somebody calls us out, the Word of God can fix us. What we often do is we deny it or we blame shift it. Isn't that true? Someone confronts you on something, "Eh, that ain't me someone confronts you on something, oh that's not me, that's you, (laughs) isn't that great? deny, blame shift and yet from the word of God we should have this idea of confessing killing and replacing sin confess sin kill sin replace sin don't deny it, don't blame shift, confess it put it to death, kill it and replace it so let's kind of do this together I'm going to call you out on some things right now. it be kind of fun. I'm going to call you out. And if it applies, you take it. Don't deny it. Don't blame shift it. All right? So, this is the way it works. All right? Perhaps some of you recently have been having issues with uh, the sin of sloth laziness. You've been lazy, you've not been diligent. You've been slacking at home, been slacking at school, been slacking at work. You're a slacker. Hey, slacker, I just called you a slacker. If it's you, I don't know if it's you or not, but don't deny it. Don't blame shift it. Confess it. Kill it. And replace it with spirit-empowered hard work. You see how this works? Let's do another one. Perhaps you're struggling with a certain sin that you have been struggling with for years, and there's no progress at all. Maybe you're even in an c- accountability group and you simply show out to your accountability group kind of like just to talk about it, but then you don't really want to do anything about it. So I'm calling you on that sin right now. What are you going to do? Don't deny it. Don't blame shift it. Confess it. Yeah, that's me. Kill it replace it spirit-empowered effort, a plan to progress. Okay, one more. For those of you who have issues with anger or get irritated with other people easily or outbursts, maybe at your parents, at your kids, at your roommates, you have that issue, hey, I just called you on it. (laughs) Hey, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, I'm not looking at you, but wherever you're at, I called you. Don't deny it. Don't blame shift it. Confess it. Kill it. Put on Respect. I know we think that the Christian life and our growth is going to be all happy and smiley and it's going to be great, but it's often going to be more like a war, and there's going to be a lot of fight and struggle involved, and there's going to be a lot of killing of sin. Here's the image I want you to get. This past Monday, my wife and I were attempting to exercise after the long winter. So we went out for a run, and we went to this place in Skokie. It's kind of like this hidden gem of, it's called the Emily Oaks Nature Center. Maybe you've never been there. Anyway, we're running in there, and we're running along the path, and there used to be a lot of trees, but I don't know where they went. They were like chopped down, like all along the path, just chopped down. And then we get to the little pond area there, and it's Monday, so it's still, I mean, it's still ice. You can still see ice, and as I look out on the pond, and we're looking out, there are dead fish everywhere. And there's birds on top of the ice just pulling their dead carcasses off the ice. It's really disgusting, right? And we're like, what is going on? These trees are chopped down, dead fish everywhere, what's going on? And the lady comes out who works there, and we're like, excuse me, what's going on here? And so she knows everything. So she's explaining stuff. She said, I said, and and I'm trying to be all smart. I'm like, what happened to these fish? Did they freeze to death or something i don't know She goes no they didn't freeze they actually all suffocated that sounds even worse Uh, apparently thick ice light can't get through i don't understand that maybe you do and they just suffocate and so they all floated up and there they are floating everywhere and the birds are eating them and then she looks out she goes i'm so happy to see all those dead goldfish I'm like, oh, man, what's the deal with the goldfish? They look pretty, but they're dead. She goes, yeah, those nasty bottom feeders. I don't know what she's talking about. But she's glad the goldfish are dead. And, and I'm like, what about all the trees? What if, why, why, why'd you cut all the trees? She goes, "She, she goes, the beetle. There's this beetle that's infecting all the ash trees. So moving all over. You know about this. And we had to just cut them all down. And she said so calmly and coolly, she looked out. She goes, Death and destruction all around. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> going to go right all our way. And, and that's, when you start dealing with stuff in your life that's hard, it's been there for a long time, it's going to feel like death and destruction all around. Because th- there are certain things that you've done that bring you comfort, Yeah. There's certain things you've been doing for years that just bring you a false peace and security, right? It's just false. But when you start confessing that stuff and attempting to kill it, it's going to look like death and destruction all around. But let me encourage you these, these words. Your pond will be restocked and your trees will grow back. It may feel like death and destruction, but that death and destruction is necessary for life and growth and grace to start to happen. And for things to put put in place that weren't there before so that you can start to move out to love people, to serve people, and start to be used to do big things for God. See, right now, what some of you are trying to do is you have a heart for God, and you're saying, God, use me. I just gave you my whole life. Do whatever you want through me. But then you've got this area of your life over here that you're not wanting to deal with. It is habitual sin. You're saying, okay, God, ignore that, but use me to just patch your world for Christ and change people. You, But you're not wanting to deal with that stuff over here. Confess it. Kill it. Replace it. doesn't mean you have to be perfect. But you have to have a trajectory where you're acknowledging there's stuff that shouldn't be there. And you're wanting to deal with it and kill it by the Spirit. And you're wanting to walk in righteousness for His glory. And you say, well, I can't do that. You're right. That's why we've been talking about supernatural living for natural people. You're a human. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. May you believe it and live that way. Let's pray. Lord, I just I just thank you for my brothers and sisters. I know that some of them are struggling right now, but things have been struggling for a while and it seems impossible. Give them hope that by the power of your Spirit living in them, they can live a supernatural life of holiness where they can love each other. They can turn away from sin. They can serve each other and they can be used by you to do the big things, the small things, the medium things, all for your glory, Lord. Just encourage them at this time that we don't have to live in defeat. We don't have to live lives where we feel like we're unusable, but we can be used by you by the power of your Spirit.